I want to speak to you too about the friends of the bridegroom. Uh, my text is John 15, and I want to read from verses 13 to 15. Jesus said, greater love than no one than this, than he to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do whatever I command you, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. Watch the transition, right? No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what the master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all things I've heard from my father, I have made known to you. I'm 64 by the end of this year. At the stage in my life, true friends are the most important things to me, all right? Because life is about relationships and many of our relationships are intended to be eternal. If you fail in your relationships, then in essence that you've actually failed in life. You can have a great ministry, but if your wife divorces you, then what's the point? You can have a great ministry and your kids doesn't even talk to you. What's the point of it? Come on. So relating with family and with friends is uh, some of the most important things that you learn in life. It's a key to success. Now if you think about it, the Bible basically is a record of men and women who walk with God. It's the key. It's the key of life. And men and women who walk with God and with one another. Now let me just give you a big picture first. The Garden of Eden was created as a meeting point between God and man. The Lord would come in the cool of the evening to commune with Adam. And there was unbroken fellowship and uninterrupted communion between them. And it was for this purpose that man was created. We were created for his pleasure. But when sin came into the human race, the first thing that happened was it fractured man's relationship with God. Adam became alienated from the Lord and the Lord then set in motion a plan for salvation, which is really to restore us back to the original place of intimacy and fellowship we had with Him before the fall. The second thing that sin severed was man's fellowship with one another. It wasn't too long after the fall that Cain murdered Abel and the sin of murder creeped into our bloodline and fractured our relationship one with another. So the Lord gave us the Ten Commandments. And these commandments were to point us uh, to the right direction, point us back to Him. And the first four commandments helps us to understand what He wants uh, in our relationship with Him. And the next six commandments helps us to understand how we are re to relate to one another. And then Jesus came. Woo! And He repaired this broken relationship with God. And the cross broke the enmity and restored us back to the Father and to one another. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the big picture. That's the foundation I want to lay. Now let's talk about King David for a few moments. When David was king over Israel, he had multitudes of people serving him. 1 Chronicles chapter 27, uh, 23 to 27 gives an account of those who served David and the proximity to the throne and they are numbered in the tens of thousands. In 1 Chronicles 23 is a description of the family of the Levites. 1 Chronicles 24 are the priests, the household of Aaron. 1 Chronicles 25 are the musicians and their families. 1 Chronicles 26, gatekeepers and the treasurers. These are concentric circles of men and women that served David and they came closer and closer to the throne. 1 Chronicles chapter 27 and in the first 15 verses are the military leaders, the generals, the captains and the military commanders. So what we have here are these concentric circles of people that surrounded David right from those who were in the outer circles and then circling closer and closer to the core. 
But then we come to 1 Chronicles chapter 27 and verses 32 to 34 and we read of another group of people. Let me just read this to you. Also Jehonadan, David's uncle, a counselor, a wise man, watch this, a scribe, and Jehiel, the son of Hekimoni, who was the, with the king's son. Ahithophel was the king's counselor. Hushai was the king's companion. And after Ahithophel was Jehoiada, the son of Benaniah, and then Abiathar, and the general of the king's army was Joab. So this was David's inner circle. This was the nerve center of his entire kingdom. This was David's cabinet. We're introduced, first of all, to a counselor called Jehonadan. He was a counselor to David. He was a wise man and a scribe. Now, there are other counselors in the Bible. There were some that were described as crafty. You've got to be careful and watchful for those crafty ones because they will say one thing to you and they will say something else to somebody. Then you introduce to Jehiel, a tutor to the king's son. And then we have a very important person in the Bible, his name is Ahithophel, and he is referred to as the king's counselor. Now, Ahithophel was the only man that David was afraid of because his counsel was like an angel speaking. And when Absalom rebelled against David, he sided with Absalom because he never forgave David for committing adultery with Bathsheba, and Bathsheba was his granddaughter. And I understand this because I have two, one, one granddaughter and one on the way. Woo! And I love my grandkids. And I'll do anything to protect them. And I understand what was in the heart of Ahithophel. But he could not forgive David even after God forgave David. And he kept that offense in his heart. And the demise was he lost his own life because of that. There was another man in the Bible that's mentioned. His name was Hushai whom the Bible describes as the king's companion. If I could say these were the two men, the left hand and the right hand of King David, the king's counselor, Ahithophel, and Hushai, the king's companion. I've always wondered what it was like to be a companion for a man like King David, to be someone that the king could confide in. Of all these people that David had, thousands and tens of thousands serving him, David, when David spoke, it, his word was law, amen? And his wishes were done immediately. When someone serves you, what do you call a person? A servant. But when someone is your companion, what do you call a person? A friend, hallelujah. And that was what Hushai was to David. David had thousands and tens of thousands of servants, but he had only one man. He called my companion. There were other friends like Bezalel, Ittai the Gittite, Zadok, Jehoiada, friends of David, but Hushai was special. He was the king's companion. Let's bring this to a bigger perspective. God has millions and millions of servants that encircle the great white throne and they do his bidding. He speaks the word and immediately his word is done. And these great concentric circles comprise of angels of every class and the redeemed from every tongue, tribe, nation, and every generation. And as those concentric circles come closer and closer to the core of the throne, what you find at the core is the highest of the redeemed. You, got, you have 24 elders, hallelujah. I don't know who these elders are, but I'm sure Moses, Elijah, Abraham are in this company of people. And then you've got four living creatures. My friends, when you get, that these four living creatures have four faces. When you get to heaven, you're gonna see creatures you've never seen before. I've never seen a four-faced creature in my life ever, but I've seen those with two faces, hallelujah. 
And ladies and gentlemen, where you are in the proximity to the throne depends and is predicated on one thing and one thing alone, your friendship with Him. Now, as you look in the Old Testament, you'll discover God is very selective about those He called friends. I can think of a few. Abraham was called the friend of God. Moses spoke to God face to face as a man would speak to his friend. Elijah the prophet was a man that stood in the presence of God and together with Moses, they were the two companions that the father selected for his son Jesus for all eternity. Woo! Enoch walked with God for 300 years. The prophets of old were all his friends for the reason that God shared with them his burdens and his concerns about Israel and the nations. In other words, they were men that God could confide in, hallelujah. The marvelous thing about this is that they would be his companions for all eternity, his friends for all eternity. And this must be our quest, ladies and gentlemen. In fact, the greatest quest is to become a friend of the Most High. So let me fast forward into the New Testament and let's see the ones that God chose as companions for His Son, Jesus. Let's come back to the passage we read in John 15. The operative word in John 15 is the word friends. Three times in this short passage, the Lord uses the word friends. And the way that we know that the Lord is allowing us to be His friends is designated in the second half of verse 15. For all things I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. If you become a friend of God, I am telling you, you will start hearing things you've never heard before. You will start seeing things you've never seen before. Your understanding will open up into the realm of the Spirit and God will show you things that are and things that is to come. That's how you know you're becoming a friend of God. It's when He opens up his understa our understanding in a way we've never seen before. All that the Father has shown me, Jesus said, I will show you as well. Watch the change in verse 15. Jesus said, no longer do I call you servants. Boy, it's an honour to be called a servant. Whenever I'm travelling overseas and the pastor gets up and introduces me today, we're so glad that Pastor Young with us. He's a servant of the Lord. If somebody introduced me as a servant of the Lord, I would be greatly honoured. Greatly honoured. But there's something that's stirring in my heart. I don't just want to stay a servant of the Lord. I want to be a friend. And for the very reason, because God does not tell His secrets to His servants. A master doesn't share intimate thoughts and feelings with a servant, but he will with a friend. Now we all start off as servants. All of us, that's the baseline. We all have to learn to serve. If you're in this church right now and you sit down with your arms folded grading my sermon or grading how the worship went, I didn't like the worship today. I'm sorry we were not worshiping you. You don't sit with your arms folded and then, oh, that's a great service, that's always a good service. And then you go back home and not lift one single finger to serve. I tell you this, you will never be a friend of God. Every, every friend started out as a servant. A non-serving Christian in the church is an oxymoron. So we all begin with service, all of us. But there are some servants that go on to become his friends. There comes a day when he witnesses in your heart and says, today, you're no longer my servant. I bring you into the sweet fellowship of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. And I'll tell you, my friends, friendship with God begins when he says to you, you are my friend. It doesn't happen when we sing, we are, I'm a friend of God. I can't stand that song. I said to the don't ever sing that song in the church. Bad theology. 
Friendship with God only happens when He initiates it. The greater has to initiate the relationship. Do you understand? Let me show you something here in John chapter 2 and verse 23. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. It says, when He was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in His name when they saw the signs that He did. Verse 24, very important, but He did not commit or entrust himself to any of them. Why? Because he knew what was in man and he knew what was in their hearts. In other words, he kept the distance from the people because he knew what was in their hearts. Then John chapter 15, he called 12 disciples and these disciples, at some point in his ministry, he says, now you're my friends. So watch this, please. In John chapter 2, there were a lot of people around him he did not entrust himself to people. Uh, he knew what was in their hearts. But in John chapter 15, he says to 12 of them, now you're my friends. How many of you know from John chapter 2 to John chapter 15, 13 chapters later, there were some things that happened. Some relational adjustments, amen? There were some things that happened, some things that Jesus started to deal in their lives to bring them to a place where He can say, now I call you friends. At the beginning of His ministry, He didn't commit Himself to any one of them. He had no friends, true friends, really, if you think about it. But after He walks three and a half years with His disciples, in the course of walking with them, He begins to reveal His divine nature to them. And that really is the purpose of discipleship. Listen, discipleship is not just to make us disciples, it's to bring us to friendship with God. Amen. That was the goal. And when they finally became friends, only then did Jesus, was, was Jesus ready to go to the cross because now He has friends who's got the same heart as Him and who would continue the ministry. Now, just as David had his inner circles, so did Jesus. We see a close circle of 12 whom He called friends. Within the circle of friendship, he had three that were closer to him than the rest. Now, we all know that God is impartial. And what that means, he doesn't show favoritism. But he, but he did love these three very uniquely, Peter, James, and John. Now, we know this is because when Jesus went up the Mount of Transfiguration, he only brought Peter, James, and John. When he went into the garden of Gethsemane to pray, he only brought Peter, James, and John. And he had a very special place for these three men in his heart. Out of the tree, there was one who became a confidant, a companion of Christ. And that was John, the beloved apostle. It was John who laid his head at the bosom of Jesus. It's, you must be very close to Jesus to do that. It was John who was chosen to receive the re revelations of Jesus Christ and give us the book of revelations and the great secrets of the last days. It was John who had the revelation of who was going to betray Jesus. The closer one gets to the Lord, the greater the revelation. Why? Because now we are his friends and he's beginning to show us all things. When we read verses like that, don't you get hungry and say, oh my goodness, Lord, I want to be a friend, Lord. I want to be like Abraham. I want to be like Moses. I want to see you face to face. I want to know you, Lord. And little do we realize that God has already extended the invitation to us through His Son, Jesus. Amen. I will, I will circle back to this in a few moments. When God wants to bless you, ladies and gentlemen, He brings people into your life. Yes? When the devil wants to attack you, he also brings people into your life. Hmm. When God wants to propel the mission in your life, He brings people in your life. When the devil wants to abort the mission of God, He also brings people into your life. One aspect of wisdom in the Bible is the company that we keep. I can tell you very quickly, I can spend 10 minutes with you, I will ask you of your friends, and 10 minutes I'll tell you the kind of person you are by the friends you keep. In a way, birds of the feather do flock together. 
Now, God handpicks people that will shape your life. He does. Relationships are everything. I used to think that God handpicks the pastor for the church. And then I realized that God also handpicks the congregation for the pastor. Hallelujah. So whether you like it or not, you are stuck with me. We're in this together. We're in this together. In the last uh, few weeks, I've got quite a few people writing to me over this whole situation. You know what was the one most encouraging thing? We're so glad to have our pastor back. And I'm back. I'm back. I'm, I've canceled all my... I don't want to travel. And if I'm going to accept an invitation, I'll give them on one condition. I'll leave on a Monday. I'll be back on a Thursday. That's it. But I want to be with my church on Sunday. Saturdays. I'm committed to you. People can add to your life or they can subtract from your life. They can multiply in your life or they can divide. So you've got to be very careful the friends that you choose and you've got to have the courage to call people for what they are. This one adds to me. This one subtracts to me. This one multiplies in my life. That one sub divides in my life. Recognize a relationship for what it is. Sometimes God removes a person in your life. He does, right? We all have gone through that before. And this message that I'm preaching to you was prepared long before anything happened here. Okay? So this is not a personal thing. I'm just saying that sometimes God removes a person in your life because He's heard conversations you did not. Yeah, true. So I'm very realistic about people because sometimes I trust people too easily. My wife always tells me that. She says, Yoon, what's the matter with you? You always trust people. And then they take advantage of you all the time. You know, wives are far more discerning. Husbands, I'm telling you, learn to listen to your wives. True. To Pastor Tim, listen to your wife. God has given them something called intuition. Seriously. My wife has saved me from so much trouble. She sees things far better than I do. And I, I just honor that. So I'm very realistic with people. And when I like people, sometimes I'm, de I'm deceived in thinking that things that are not true, right? There are beautiful people, there are helpful people, but there are also deceitful people. There are also lazy people. We've got to recognize this. If God gives you a friendship, don't try and control it. Amen? Love the person. In 33 years of ministry, I've discovered that many of my relationships in the church, not in the church, but in life, are transactional. What do I mean by that? Some people only want to know me because of the fact that I can give them a preaching platform or give them uh, financial assistance. That's the only reason. I've known scores and scores of speakers and ministers whose only reason for wanting to connect with me is so that I can give them a platform to preach and the moment I say no, it's adios amigo. They've gone faster than the wind and they've gone faster than I can say Jack Robinson. Fair-weathered friends. And we need to be realistic because the majority of people are like this. Come on, we human beings, we are wired up to be transactional, all of us. And that has to change in the church. What do I mean by that? We mean, I mean that we've got to start loving people for who they are, not for what you can get from them. The best thing you can do today is to find two people when you go back home. People that cannot help you, people that has no means financially and start blessing them every month. Give them something, $100, something. Just say, look, every month I'm going to bless you. I, I want nothing from you in return. I just want to bless you, amen? And you have every right to call on me. Anytime you need finances, I'll be here to you. I'll be here for you. Do something for somebody just because you care for people. 
Not wanting anything in return. Come on, amen. Now, uh, uh, value people for who they are, not what they can get. you can get out of the friendship. A fair-weathered friend is a person whose friendship that cannot be relied upon in times of difficulties. Boy, I have lots of them. Some are well-known, some are not. They're in this relationship with me for what they can get out of me. I tell you this, my friends, and this is the truth. I have been used so many times by people who keep using me for their own purposes. And sometimes I say to the Lord, Lord, this man is using you. And the Lord says, I know he's using you and you know he's using you. Let him use you. It does not matter. I'm changing you, amen. I'm doing something in your life for eternity, hallelujah. And I've allowed people to use me knowing and it hurts, but I'm telling you this, something changes in our lives when we go through the whole process of these dealings and interaction with God, amen. And I've got to learn to keep on being vulnerable because the moment I harden my heart, that's the end of me. God has got no more use for me if I harden my heart. I've got to keep myself soft. I've got to keep my heart clean. I've got to be vulnerable and allow people to hurt me still and love them no matter what. No matter what, hallelujah. Here's the clincher. You want to know what the clincher is? That many of us treat Jesus the, the same way I've just described. True. Many of you see Him as a utility, what He can do for you. One time the Lord said to one of His prophets, a lot of people want to marry me because of my money. True. What we can get out of Jesus, and that has to change, my friends. Can we not be like Job, who when God lifted his hands of favor and blessings and finances, and everything was taken from him, he was stripped to below zero, he was in ashes, and it lifted up his hands. He says, I don't care if you kill me, I'm going to love you till the end of my life. Hallelujah. You can take everything away from me. You can slay me. I don't care. You will always be the apple of my eye, and I will love you to the end. Have the courage to say something like this to the Lord. That I'm not here for the blessings. Now, ladies and gentlemen, there's nothing wrong in being reward-oriented. There's nothing wrong. Jesus promised us many wonderful rewards if we follow Him. We are all reward-motivated. That's how we start the Christian life. I started the Christian life because I heard there were rewards. But when I came and walked with the Lord, I began to see how beautiful He is. Now I'm following Him, not for the rewards. I'm following Him because He's so wonderful and worthy. Listen, I'm 64. I don't care about another big house. I don't care about another car. Those things are just utilities. They're not important to me any longer, really. I mean, I'm thinking of people who are build, buying another house, building another house, renovating their house and doing all these things. I'm thinking, Jesus is coming back. What's the matter with you? Especially when you're in your 60s, coming to the 70s, you still want to expand. My goodness, keep your eye on Jesus, man. And on the finish line. Amen. Now, listen, God wants to bless us. I'm going to do a series next, early next year on biblical economics and finances because I believe God wants to prosper and bless His people for the sole purpose so that we can become storehouses to bless the nations. Amen. That's the whole purpose. It's not for self-aggrandizement. David was reward-oriented. You know the story. Did I tell you the story? Oh, no, not yet. All right. So here's David. He's delivering some bread and supplies to his brothers because they were fighting a war with the Philistines. There was a giant called Goliath. He's taunting Israel 40 days. David hears the taunt of the giant. He asks the people, he said, hey, what's, what's going to happen to the guy that will kill this guy, this giant? Oh my goodness, he's going to be marrying the princess. Oh, that's pretty good. Uh, he doesn't have to pay taxes for the rest of his life. Oh, that's good. Uh, he's going to be invited to the king's palace. He's going to be the king's friend. Oh my goodness. Then he stood up and says, I'll kill the giant. He was reward motivated. 
And that's all, uh, that's all we were when we first started, but at some point we got to move on beyond that, amen. Now the flip side, of course, is that relationships just cannot be built on fresh air and sunshine. I like hanging out with people. I enjoy fellowship and, and conversations. The fellowship is always wonderful. But I cannot just sit and fellowship for the sake of fellowship. You understand? At some point, the relationship must become missional. In other words, a friendship that's forged with genuine love, mutual respect, common interest, must move on to something to bear fruit for the kingdom or it will become unhealthy. Amen? So a relationship must be a give and take. You cannot give and give and give in a relationship and not expect something in return. And that relationship will suck you dry. Solomon said the leech, the leech is a blood-sucking animal, has got two daughters. Give and give. That's all they want. Give me, give me, give me, give me. We've all had people like that in my life. You know, I had people in my life that actually every week give me, give me, give me. And the Lord says, you keep giving them. I said, but God, they're sucking my... The Lord says, they will never bankrupt you as long as I'm here. They will never bankrupt you. You keep blessing them. Amen. I know people take advantage of me all the time, but it's okay. My father is more, he's, he's rich, hallelujah, amen. Listen, spend time with the father. He loves to hear your, of your day. Talk to him about everything. Learn to fellowship with the indwelling Christ, amen. I'm learning this, I'm learning. It's called the practice of the presence of God. Talk to him about anything. Tell him, Lord, I had a really good day today. Thank you so much. Lord, I had a bad day today. I, I, Lord, I'm sorry about the wrong thoughts that I had about this person. I'm sorry about the words I spoke about this other person that was, that was uncalled for. Will you forgive me? Talk to your father about everything. Amen. Thank him for everything. Like two, about six weeks ago, I was driving my car. It was raining and you know, my, my car is a rear wheel drive. And, and I st stepped on the accelerator. The whole car spin on the highway. It went like that. I mean, it was, it was very like, like fast and furious, sorry. I lost control of the car, but immediately the, I felt the Lord just bring the car back to stability. And you know, it's, I just thank the Lord for His protection, hallelujah, again and again and again, amen. Whoo, hallelujah. Some people, you know, in, in our culture, we have the tendency to compl compliment those who compliment us, yes? We have the tendency to be kind to the one who is kind to us. And we often give time to the one who has served us or who has been gracious to us. Yet Jesus is always pushing the envelope and He says, be kind to those who are unkind to you. Care for people who have not the resources to pay you back. Come on. Right? Some of them don't even have the social etiquette to express thanks or appreciate kindness. They will receive your kindness and walk away without a single word. And that has to be okay for us. And we must be willing to leave a mark on people's life no matter how they treat us, amen. We had a prophetic word from Chris Berkland in our church camp in June this year. He says, the Lord has promised you 22,000 people in the church and all of that is predicated on a remnant of friends of the Holy Spirit being formed here in the church. Now, obviously I'm excited about 22,000. It doesn't drive me anymore. Numbers don't do the same thing as they used to in my heart. But I thank God that what He wants to bring in Cornerstone is a remnant of the friends of the Holy Ghost. Now, let me close by saying, how do we become His friend? This invitation of friendship has been extended to all of us. This is one party that you cannot gate crash. You're either invited to it or you're not. We're all familiar with Matthew 28, the Great Commission. But I want to suggest to you that this is more than just the Great Commission. It's also the Great Invitation because you're invited into a partnership and fellowship to partner with Jesus 
for the salvation of the world. It's both the great commission and the great invitation. And one day it will be the great completion. Hallelujah. The Puritans and the mystics in the 1800s, they used to say that God in himself is a sweet society. In other words, the Godhead, the Trinity, there was a circle of friendship and the Bible reveals very tenderly the way the Father speaks to the Son and the Son speaks to the Father and how they relate to one another. And it's into this sweet society of the Trinity that you and I have been invited into. Now, because we've got such poor, poor self-image and esteem, we often think that this invitation is too lofty and almost impossible. How can God even desire a relationship with me? But that is the absolute truth. And God is seeking to bring us into His circle as well. John 5 verse 20 says, The Father loves the Son and shows Him all things that He Himself does and will show Him greater works than this that you may, know, that you may marvel. That's the only time in the New Testament Testament, when the word that's used for love is the word phileo and not agapeo, it's a word that's used to describe friends. And I can read it this way, the father is a friend to the son and the son is a friend of the father. And because of this wonderful friendship, the father says, I'm going to show my son everything that I'm doing. Hallelujah. And ladies and gentlemen, you have been invited to this sweet society of the Trinity. When you receive Jesus Christ, you are in Christ and He invites you you to come into a place of friendship. That has to be the goal of every Christian here in Cornerstone. Don't just stay in the outer concentric circles of servanthood. Press in to be a friend of the Most High God. Amen. You've just listened to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.